Hey, welcome to the CMO Whisper Show. I'm your host, Steve Olensky. Part marketing practitioner, part ad agency veteran, part journalist. I was a writer for Forbes for 10 years. I've had so many insightful conversations over the years with business leaders, to athletes, to celebrities, to, of course, CMOs. The only difference now is instead of sharing those insights through written form, I'm doing it this way. Back in 2011, Jim Lashinsky, while working at Google, coined a phrase, zero moment of truth. He would later write the book, Winning the Zero Moment of Truth. It was then and is still today a seminal book in the world of marketing. Jim's gone on to become an associate professor of marketing at Northwestern University. And he and I have known each other for many, many years. And I recently caught up with him. Please welcome Jim Lisinski to the CMO Whisper Show. Well, hello, Steve. It's great to be with you. And yes, indeed, that's when we first met many years ago in the Zmot days. And it's a pleasure to be on the show with you here today. Yeah. You know, I've been a fan since we met and Zmot just completely, like so many other people, just went, oh my God, this is incredible. And <laughs> it, it it was seminal. That's the word, right? And I'm sure you you probably still get recognized for that, right? Indeed. I mean, we had a lot of uh, success with that framework and with that book, you know, all the great people at, at Google and elsewhere who helped us launch that. And mm -hmm. yeah, in fact, I was teaching a class the other week and one of my students said, wait, that's your book? I know that. <laughs> we, we use that at my company. So yeah. That has to feel good, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I start off every single interview that I do with the following question, regardless of your background, okay? And I get this question all the time. What's the difference between marketing and advertising? Well, advertising, quite simply, is a subset of marketing. Marketing is the big tent, the big umbrella, and that is the process of helping people exchange goods and services of value. So that could be apps, it could be SaaS products, B2B, it could be you know what you're going to have for lunch today or dinner tonight as a consumer products good, but it's how businesses go to market, design, you know, so we still use the famous four P's, seven P's, right? The, what mm -hmm. is the product? What is the price? How do you promote it? And where do you distribute it? What place do you distribute it? And that third P that I mentioned, how do you promote it? Well, one of the ways to do that is advertising. So, you know, we love advertising, but advertising does not equal marketing. Advertising is a piece, albeit a very important piece of marketing. I always, I'm get, you know, there's, like I said, everybody, there's no wrong answer. I just love to get people's thoughts on that because I get asked that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get to the main topic, which I know is very near and dear, which is AI, I want to start with your early marketing career. So let me just read a little something that I read about you, which was fascinating. So after majoring in government and German, there's a combination, right? During undergrad at the University of Notre Dame, you first took a marketing course while you were going for your own MBA, right? And that sparked an interest. And it, I love this quote. You said, after my first marketing class, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Maybe I should try this. I love that you got that spark, right? But it was also kind of, if you think about it, laying the groundwork because you had to get that spark from a good professor, right? Yep. A good engaging professor, which now you have become. So I, <laughs> it's kind of like the circle of life, right? 
Yeah, very much so. Lion King style, right? So indeed, right? I had never taken a marketing course. didn't really have a business course as an undergrad. You know, I had pursued a different course of study, but that professor, Devanathan Sudarshan, really sparked that in me. And I I have a a world of a career to thank him for and have done so. He went on to be the uh, department chair, now chairman emeritus of the business school, business department at University of Kentucky. He and I still stay in touch and I still have his original book. So not only did he inspire me to be a marketer, he inspired me to be an author as well. Hmm. So after school, right, graduating, you did some agency work, right? Ogilvy and Mather, DDB, Young and Rubicam. I never knew this when I'm about to uh, unveil here, if you will. I didn't know you worked when you're at these agencies. You worked on some really big brands like United, Coors, P&G, right? You were on the Old Spice campaign, correct? Yeah, yeah, we were part of fortunate to be part of the team that actually launched Old Spice after Procter and Gamble bought it from American Cyanamid and, you know, helped give it a push to the be the powerhouse brand that it is now, but we were there at the ground floor. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I love that you said you had a front row seat, right, to see how the best marketers in the world think about growing brands, driving growth, and this is the really great part a part where I where you said how they approach everything and what works and equally important what doesn't work. That's right, because um, you know, look, it's 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 the classic, you know, test, learn, refine, scale, or test, learn, refine, optimize. And so, you know, knowing what can scale or should scale versus what to not scale is equally valuable, right? I mean, it's not about being right and perfect initially. Uh, it's about you know, are you developing smart hypotheses that you can put into market, get some learning. And some of these things then can be pivoted, tweaked, optimized to scale for success. And some of them just can't. And so, you know, what might sound good in theory or might sound good in a conference room or a focus group often doesn't pan out. And so, you know, it's you're not bad or wrong because it doesn't work. You're only bad or wrong if you have evidence that says it's not going to be successful and you keep pushing it. Right. Let me ask you about the youth, right? And I'm, I'm fascinated by if you feel like you have not an, not an added responsibility, but just a responsibility because you are shaping the, the marketing, you know, the future marketers, right? That to me is, that's a pretty big deal. Does that like ever like play into your subconscious at the very least? Yeah, no, that, that, that's hugely front of mind for, for both myself and all the faculty, you know, at Kellogg writ large and certainly within the marketing department, you know, I'm fortunate to be part of a marketing department that, you know, has been named perennially as the the, the number one you know, marketing program uh, for MBAs in the country. And we take that responsibility very seriously for exactly the reason that you said is because, you know, the, the super smart, super talented folks that we have from all around the world in our classes are, you know, going to go out some as soon as, you know, a couple of weeks from now, depending on where it is in the academic year and some, you know, in a year or two and start taking major responsibility for brands. And so what we want to do is, you know, arm them with a, a thought process, understanding a deep understanding of what marketing is, where it fits into the business function overall, sort of a consumer first mindset on this, but also, you know, give them both frameworks as well as examples. You know, Steve, we try to teach them, uh, blend a combination of what we call durable knowledge as well as perishable knowledge. And by durable knowledge, Steve, we mean things that, you know, mattered 5, 10, 20 years ago and will matter 5, 10, 20 years from now. Concepts like differentiation and distinctiveness, 
and then perishable because you know they're going to leave us and we want them to be hit the ground running in the new positions, the new brand manager, marketing manager roles that they take. And so as a result, they need to know things like you know the latest and greatest on search marketing, social marketing, TikTok, and yes, AI and machine learning and marketing. Mm-hmm. Even though we know those things are going to evolve and change, we still need to get them ready to hit the ground running in their jobs when they leave us. So it's that combination is how we think about you know our obligation there. Yeah, I love that because, again, I mean, it's, it sounds so uh, obvious, but what you and the others in your, in your world are doing is preparing the marketers for tomorrow. And it sounds like you guys are all on the same page, and I love to hear that. Yeah. Good for you. So I know AI, it's, you know, <laughs> when I do these interviews, so far I've done a lot of either current or former CMOs. And the way I phrase AI, Jim, as I go, well, you know, It's the biggest elephant in the room for every marketer the world over, right, is AI. Now, knowing I was going to be talking to you and all the work that you've done around the topic of AI, it's it's really going to be interesting to get into. But before we do that, I I saw this quote from you, and it's fascinating because of the dichotomy between what we're going to talk about on the right side of the brain with AI. You know where I'm going, right? Where you wrote, I'm going to read the quote. The marketing industry is no longer a right-brained endeavor or profession. You have to have creativity, inspiration, and insights combined with rigor, data, research, and technology. Yeah. That, to me, is just – that should be on everybody's desk (laughs) in stone. (laughs) So talk – expand on that thought for a little bit, but before we really dive deep into AI – yeah. Well, look, I do believe very much so and stand by that quote, try to apply that in you know my own continuing journey to learn and be more and more proficient in marketing and in my classes as well. And so what do we mean by that? You know, I think there's, well, just unfortunately, a lot of polarization in business, in the world, in life, in culture these days where it's, you know, sort of zero or a hundred, black or white, this side of the boat, that side of the boat. And, you know, often as always, it's a yes and is where the, the, the truth lies. It's in the intersection or combination of these things. And so, you know, you sort of get this mad men versus math men thing, right? Like, you know, oh no, like, Big ideas and creativity, none of that matters anymore because we'll just, you know, use spreadsheets to optimize our way to glory. Uh, no, you know, that that's soulless and, you know, it takes a human to come up with a, a big insight and a big idea and a Super Bowl campaign. Well, guess what? You know, if you look at some of the, the greatest brands, if you go look at any of the, you know, inner brand or other top brand lists, you pick your favorite brand, they're doing both and both are required. So I very much believe that to be a great marketer, you need to be a whole brain marketer. And that doesn't mean half of one brain and half of another. It means two 100% hemispheres. <laughs> That's why we have two sides of a brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that because you're right. I think for so long, right, at least from my vantage point, and I, I'm guessing it's the same for you because you use the words, it's no longer this. The marketers were, you know, conditioned, right, to, to use the right side of the brain. Yeah. Yeah. 
Look, I mean, you know, I grew up in the advertising business many years ago where, you know, it was all about sort of the big idea and, and ideation and creativity and all those kinds of things. Of course, you know, catalog and database marketing came along and, you know, kind of took another approach. And, you know, in many respects, you know, that's what we get this above the line, below the line, you know, uh, upper funnel, lower funnel, uh, brand versus, you know, sort of growth marketing. Like you read a lot of articles, you go to conferences and there's debate as to which one is better. Yeah. Well, that's not a debate. That's a false dichotomy, right? You you, you need both, as you know, Benet and Fields and, and many others have you know researched and proven with the long and short of it. Over time, you know, upper funnel brand awareness, creativity, you know, will will build your brand. But you know, the ups and downs and hitting your weekly targets and numbers and new customer acquisition requires some you know really smart digital social data driven marketing. Okay. It's time to face that elephant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go. All right. Let's start very high level, okay? For all the CMOs out there and the marketing teams and everybody going, I don't want, I don't know what to do. I don't know what, you know, what side of the pool I should dip my toe in, blah, blah. Yeah. How should CMOs and marketing teams be thinking, just thinking about employing AI in their marketing strategies today? All right. Well, a couple of big thoughts on this, and we can go deep as you want here, Steve. But look, I mean, I think the first thing that that I talk to marketers about is that what we're dealing with when we talk about AI at this moment is not sort of the flavor du jour, this month's shiny object, you know, hey, a fad that this too mm-hmm. shall pass, right? Because a lot of folks, you know, we, we, Steve, you and I were at conferences over the last couple of years. Hey, the metaverse, like that's where it's going to oh, be yeah. at, you know? Oh, yeah. And now where is that, right? So that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is a tectonic shift. And I'm going to use a parallel of steam power to electricity. Like that's the level uh, that we're talking about here. You know, steam to electricity changes everything. And so, you know, we're talking about an enabler, electricity, an enabler, AI, not, not a thing in and of itself. It's a thing that helps you do other things. Now, the beauty of the computer science here with AI is that you know AI uses inputs or examples. Computer scientists call this stuff training data. Could be numbers, could be sounds, could be images, could be all kinds of things. And then uses a series of models or algorithms to then produce or predict or generate a result. So, you know, we all see this in our daily lives, Steve, when you open up Gmail and type the word good and it suggests morning as the next word to follow it. Okay. That's, that's a form of generative AI that's, you know, based on thousands and millions of people who've typed in the word good, it's likely the next word is going to be good morning. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about what the computer science does, that actually is a perfectly beautiful fit to what marketers do because, you know, we might not think of ourselves as this, but we are in the prediction business. As marketers, what are we doing? We're trying to predict the right next best customer for the right next best product to the right next best offer and the right next best media to the right next best price with the right next best create, right? So those are all predictions that we're trying to make. So what's so exciting about this is that we now have you know, not some force or unnatural fit that we're just trying to do because it's hip or cool. What the computer science does is core to our job. So, you know, in light of that, then, you know, I like to explain sort of four things that we can use it to do. We can use AI to make these predictions or generate output to either make us and our marketing teams more 
productive or efficient. We could use it to be more effective. Sort of that's one axis, you know, efficiency and effectiveness. And the other axis is applied to either just our internal teamwork, reporting, spreadsheets, you know, day-to-day internal stuff, or customer-facing external, like what the customer sees. I'm a business school professor, so we love two-by-twos, right? So you've got kind of effective and efficient versus internal and external. And that is where kind of the gold is here. And the marketing teams, and we can talk about you know how you get started and what you do, but the yeah. marketing teams that recognize that, Steve, are the ones who I think you know really stand to get a competitive advantage making this transition from steam to electricity, if you will. Yeah, it's a, it's a great analogy. And I'm so glad you said something early on about this is not a fad, people. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is not going to go away, uh, right? It's mm. just not. And I get it. We've all, you know, for every one real thing, there's 25 fads that come along. So, yep, you you I can see where people fall into that trap of going, oh, you know, stop. We, it's going to yep. go away, right? Yep. You know, you can. There's a thousand of those we can name, right? Remember, IoT was going to be the next big thing, right? You know, kind of. Yep. Thing. There's blockchain. Endless, yeah. Blockchain. Exactly. Thank you. So first and foremost, for those listening, this is not a fad, okay? Now, the second part is I think there's so much apprehension and and I think a fear, right, of Jim, of the – well, first off, is AI going to take my job? What yeah. do you say to that when yeah. in someone in the world of marketing? Okay, look, so – you know, there's a huge promise and a huge upside, right? Like if I can, as my CFO is always asking, can I do more with less? Can I be more productive? Can I be more effective? Okay, yes. And we can talk about how you do that. At the same time, you are right to point out that there's some risks, some concerns, some challenges, which are, you know, as the Google engineers used to call these things, non-trivial when I was there. That was their favorite word, right? Non-trivial <laughs> <Yeah>. risks. <laughs> Great word. Okay, fine. So, so you know, we've probably got four or five that we should just name here. So, you know, the, the first risk is what you pointed out here, and that's sort of a team culture workflow process risk. Is this thing going to take my job? And, you know, I think it's been said by, by people before me, but bears repeating, AI itself is not going to take your job because it requires human in a loop. So it's not AI that's going to take your job. It's another human, another marketer who knows how to use these tools better than you who will take your job. But that's the first level risk. Then the second level risk quickly is, okay, well, is it accurate? Is it good? Is it right? I mean, I've heard these things about hallucinations and bias and the training data. You know, we can talk about each of these as deep as you like, but you know, the answer is it's not perfect. Today's AI is the worst AI you will ever use. So you can't just blindly apply what it says, but it is increasingly, you know, continuing to get better and smarter and more accurate. The, th- the third level risk is one that marketers are very concerned about, Steve, and that is sort of legal compliance, copyright kinds of risks, right? So what, what data were these large language models trained on and did they have the right to use that? You saw Sarah Silverman, among other authors, has sued saying, hey, you, you were using my IP to train your models and you didn't ask me or compensate me. And so this gives marketers and their legal counsel reason for pause. And then if I use the tool to create something as output, can I copyright or trademark that? And the US Patent and Trademark Office says no, unless it was created by a human. 
Mm. And then we then we get into some, you know, sort of bigger issues, which are, you know, sort of cultural and societal issues, right? Like, you know, you even saw Microsoft announced earlier this week that that running these large language models just use a tremendously incremental extra amount of energy in order to kind of cool the servers and the supercomputers in order to do that. And what does that mean for the world, right? Like just increased energy consumption for the environment. You know, who were the workers perhaps uh, offshore who, you know, trained these models? Were they paid a, a, a fair living sustainable wage? And then, you know, you get to sort of the, the Kai-Fu Lee issues of, you know, uh, what is the future of the world and culture in, in a kind of machine plus human world? And, yeah. and again, I don't mean to minimize those, but you know, for our purposes today, I think we're talking about the closer in marketer risks. Yeah, you 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 touched on something that's really really interesting, and this could this could absolutely lead to a part two of our discussion. But I'm going to at least keep it at a peripheral level. Okay, so let's let's play this out, and let's just play a hypothetical here. A year from now, an AI's you know, got more data than it does today, than the day before, the day before. And someone creates an ad or a logo or creates anything that's AI generated. If what is created and generated, you know, looks like something that's already been done, what's the stop? You know, if, if I do something that looks like something, if I, you know, wrote something you wrote 10 years, I go, well, Jim, you can't sue me because all I used AI to create this. Yeah. Right, you see where I'm going with this? It's a really fascinating conversation. Hundred percent. I mean, in, in sort of the the two flavors, I hear this a lot, Steve. The two flavors of this one is, is like there are legal liability or exposure, and the second is just sort of a regression to blandness, regression to the mean. If you're using the same AI to write your ad copy that I'm using, aren't we all going to have sort of the same lowest common denominator bland generic ad copy? So let's take those quickly in turn. I think on the first one, you know, Microsoft uh, with their OpenAI partnership is keenly aware of this concern and, you know, kind of somewhat uh, surprisingly to many of us, deep keen industry observers announced earlier this week an indemnification of clients using their tools to create that output against exactly that eventuality of potential future lawsuits. So I thought that was a pretty bold step on their part in, in, in order to kind of head that concern off. And I imagine, you know, probably some of the other big large language model providers are thinking about similar indemnification. But, you know, indemnification is kind of a in a contract, right? Like that's kind of how two parties are used to doing something, right? Like mm -hmm. if, yeah. if, if, you know, if I'm a marketer and I hire you to film a commercial, like I want to make sure what you put in the commercial, you have rights to show. So there's indemnification is a, a usual and customary thing. And then in the former, look, I mean, I would say, you know, if, if we're all putting in sort of low value, lazy prompts, you know, write me a funny TikTok headline for pet food. Well, we're all going to get lazy, unimaginative, uncreative, least common denominator outputs. But, you know, there is an element of randomness in these large language models. And depending on, you know, the creativity comes in and the prompting. So, you know, your creative prompt plus an element of randomness in the models is going to get you to better, different, more, what we'll call more creative outputs than me with sort of lazy, unimaginative prompts. So, so I, I think on both cases, Steve, you know, they're revalid concerns, but ones that are overcomable. Yeah. Yeah. To coin a phrase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, because it is, it is going to happen. You, we both, we know it's going to happen in the world of marketing and advertising. Someone yeah. is going to cry foul and it's going to go to courts and then it's going to set precedents and all that good stuff. So it's coming. Yep. Okay. I'm a CMO. I'm in marketing, whatever level I'm in. I literally have never done anything with AI. Yep. 
What should I be doing first? Yeah. So, I mean, this is the, the subject of, of my book that I wrote with Raj Kumar Venkatesan, Dr. Venkatesan from the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. This was the exact question that we set out to uncover. And, you know, it's really interesting because if, if you would ask me or anyone in the industry that same question about social media marketing or search marketing, well, there's a playbook, right? Like you don't just make up search marketing as you go for the first time, right? Like we know how to do this. We, we know how to do brand marketing, but there really wasn't a roadmap here of what I do on Monday morning. How do I get started? And so what we did is we went out and interviewed literally dozens and dozens and dozens of firms all around the world, big, medium, small, B2B, B2C. Some were successful. Some you know, had bad failures with AI. And we just asked them that same question. What did you do? And did it work? We coded all those responses and then tried to see if there were some commonalities of what did the winners do in common and what did those who failed do in common and come up with a sort of standardized and formalized answer to your question. And indeed, there is a right, a quote, right way to do this. And it starts with, I referred to earlier, this notion of training data, right? Like these models need input in order to make an output prediction. So the first thing as a marketer you have to do is start to think about what internal, we'll call that first party data or zero party data, do you have that the machines can then train on to make predictions, right? If I want to know what customer should see what, I have to have customer information. Now, some brands, if I'm an insurance company, I'm blessed and lucky that I know who has my policies and what their address is and what their Gmail is and what their credit card number is and their credit score. But you know, if I'm selling gum or toothpaste or beer, I probably don't know that. So you know, there's a lot of talk in the world, Steve, and you and I have talked about this, right? Like, oh, cookie apocalypse, third-party cookies. At some point, Google might shut that down. That's not a housekeeping problem or a Google problem. You need to get the first-party data now, not because of cookie apocalypse, but so you can play the machine learning game. Okay? Mm. So that's the first thing you've got to do. Then briefly, the second thing that you do with that is now you don't write your own models. You don't hire your own computer scientists. You work with your existing partners. If you're working with Salesforce, Adobe, Meta, Google, so on, TikTok, they all have AI-powered, AI-enabled versions of their products and tools that if you have first-party training data, they can now use their AI to predict these better outcomes and outputs. And that's not just for big companies. I mean, MailChimp for small business, right? Yeah. Can can predict right headlines and who should see ads and when they should uh, email and when they should be delivered. So that's the second stage: is work with those partners, catalog those results, and you're sort of doing an old way, new way, ninety ten challenger champion model, right? You're not going to switch to RAI overnight. Wouldn't make sense. Try it. By the way, no incremental cost at this point, right? Because mm. you're not hiring anybody. You're not right. It's just you work with. Meta or Google or Adobe and say, let, let, let's try your AI and see if it gets us a better result. Then the third step, by the way, is if this is going to be a true competitive advantage, you can't just only rely on partners. You have to start to build an in-house, in-sourced competency. And I liken this, Steve, to back in the day when every brand had their ad agency externally build and host their website. Remember that? Mm -hmm. no, no, one, yeah. no, one, no one does that anymore, right? It's all nope. in-house. Yep. And this is where AI is going to go. So, you know, the, the, the leaders name someone who's called various titles, but like an AI marketing champion, someone whose job is to sort of lead that internal transition, do in-house training, 
book of the month, lunch, lunch and learns, those kinds of things. Uh, and we start to insource. And then at stage four, you get sort of to the point where you have enough success, enough evidence that the human plus machine way beats the human only or human plus spreadsheet way. And now you sort of flip how your marketing organization works. Starbucks is at this point now, for example. And now you are an AI first organization, marketing organization. And then just as a last step, uh, briefly, Steve, not everybody, but a few companies will get up to stage five. And that is the system, the process, the things that you've built to help your own marketing function, you might be able to then license or sell those to other non-competitive companies as a new revenue stream. Washington Post does this, but not all brands will get there. So that's sort of the evolution ladder or the kind of the five steps. We call it, how do you go from zero to hero? Mm. So you're staying in that zero world. <laughs> From zero moment of truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go, right? right. Yeah. But, I just realized but, that. No, but it's, you're right. Yeah. So it's a, sort of a, you know, another metaphor cliche, crawl, walk, run, right? Like yep. you just don't wake up tomorrow and say, I- I'm going to be 100% AI and go hire 100 computer scientists and I need OpEx and CapEx. Like your CFO will throw you out, right? Like you, yeah. you need to walk your way there with proof and evidence and competency development, people development, systems development in order to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. As we start to wind down, I know that people listening can't see this, but Jim, you can see the, the wall behind me of album covers. I am a huge, huge music fan, very eclectic, as you can tell. For those not seeing, there's Village People to Sinatra <laughs> to The Temptations. I'm all over the board. One of my favorite songs, if not my favorite song of all time, is a song called Lean On Me by Bill Withers. Oh, yeah. Right? And that song's always resonated with me. And in in this is the point where I normally ask my guests, is there a song or lyric that really resonates with you? But in doing my research on you, and I watched your speech at, at la- was it last year's Kellogg, right? You gave a five, six-minute speech to yeah. the, gradu- the graduating class. And I know you're a big jazz fan. And you talk about it, you play it in your, in, your, in, your, in your classroom, and you use the phrase, you said, today's jazz, correct me if I'm wrong, they work within a, a freedom within a framework, was your yep. phrase. Yep. Explain to, to my listeners what that means and how that relates to marketing. Yeah, a lot of uh, people who aren't familiar with jazz think it's sort of just a bunch of musicians doing whatever the heck they want, playing anything. And it's far from that. There's you know a, a hundred year set of frameworks that go back to at least the great Louis Armstrong and and some of his forebearers. You know the chord changes, the the key, the tempo, the speed the style, all of those kinds of things. So there's a very sort of rigorous set of rules. We call those the frameworks. But within that framework, then, the beauty of jazz is every time a piece is performed, it is a kind of a spontaneous original composition within those sets of frameworks. And so, you know, we bring that back to business. You know, great executives are not just kind of lather, rinse, repeat, doing the same thing today that we did last month or in the same thing in this new job that I did in my last job. It's not just repeating or as a musician would call it, playing only what's written on the page. But neither is it just like complete improvisation, right? Like you can't say, oh, AI is hot. I think I'll just make it up as I go, right? Like, no, right? Like you you need some frameworks, you need some tools, some toolkits, but then every situation is unique and different. And so, you know, bringing that back to kind of the five-stage framework for implementing AI, you know, we, we did the research, we've 
we've we've shared with the marketing industry and now with your listeners what those five stages are. So if you're going to get started on AI, be conscious of those. That's your framework. But obviously, if you're in healthcare or if you're in a B2B SaaS company or if you're in Boston or Bolivia or Baltimore, right? Like every situation is going to be different. So you're going to have to improvise a little bit but don't just improvise everything. Improvise within those five stages because those five stages are you know, rigorously proven freedom within a framework. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that. I love that. Okay, one last question, and it has to do with sounds and audio and music and well, more sounds. As I was putting together my studio, if you will, and I'm, again, I'm a big music fan, I had this phrase pop into my head, Jim, and, and I'm asking everybody what this means to them. The sound of marketing. What does the sound of marketing sound like? <laughs> wow. Mm. The, 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 I love that question. I, I, look, to me, the sound of marketing is vibrant, dynamic, exciting, bright, colorful. Uh, I, I am hugely enthusiastic. Some people might call me a cheerleader of marketing. But look, all the functions in a firm, Steve, are, are obviously important, but you have to have a customer and you have to like, they have to engage with you. They have to buy what you want. They have to give you some money and then, you know, accounting and finance and HR and all the other, you know, critical functions go from there. But um, look, I love marketing. I love teaching marketing. I love practicing, consulting, writing about marketing. And so I think the sound is a, a bright, bold, dynamic one because it's a really bright, bold, dynamic moment within the marketing industry now, just given all of the kind of technologies and tool sets and possibilities that are in front of us to go and take advantage of. Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, I'm going to wrap it up. I can already envision a part two. So if you're listening, stay tuned at some point. I got to have Jim back on to do a much deeper dive on, on the world of AI. And I think everybody would, I know everybody would benefit it. But in the meantime, Jim, thank you so much for being my guest today. It, it's such an honor, and I'm, I'm so happy to be part of your life. Thank you again. Thank you, Steve, and congratulations on the podcast series. It was my pleasure to be here today. Thank you. Well, that wraps up another episode of the CMO Whisperer Show. I hope you shared this episode with your friends. And if you have not already, please subscribe to be kept up to date on all the latest episodes. And if you're so inclined, leave me a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you. 